Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I don't know about you, but Mercy Watson is pretty popular in my house. If you're over the age of 10, you may not know she's the main character in the wildly popular children's book series. And my next guest is the wildly talented and prolific author behind those stories, Kate DeCamillo. She's a literary powerhouse, a best-selling author, with more than 43 million books in print, and a Newbery Award winner. DeCamillo has entered the hearts and home of readers thanks to other family favorite stories, like Because of Winn-Dixie, which has sold 11 million copies worldwide and made it to the big screen. Kate writes for kids, but readers of all ages have flocked to purchase her books. Her innate ability to create worlds of imagination and adventure draw her youngest readers in and spark a love of reading. I caught up with her for an exclusive interview when I released my first Read with Jenna Jr. reading list to get a peek at the person behind the dynamic storytelling. She opens up about the power of being authentically yourself and finding a path forward after hearing so many no's at the start of her career. I'm Jenna Bushhager. Welcome to another episode of Read with Jenna. I'm so thrilled to be sitting across from you. I'm sure you know that I'm a longtime admirer of your work. Well, you were just telling me that, <laughs> and I'm going to believe you. Yeah, A longtime admirer. And, and what I love about it is how human it is, oh. how raw, how human. And what do you? how do you feel like you got to this point, to where you could observe the world through the eyes of these kids? I like that you say it's raw and human because it's like, I feel like that's part of my job is to show up with my whole self Mm -hmm. and my whole self is joyful, hopeful, and brokenhearted. And to write for kids, I, I put all of that in there because I remember what it was like as an eight year old where I was joyful, hopeful, and also worried and brokenhearted. And so that's my whole self. And it goes into the stories. And I feel so lucky to get to do it because it's a place for me to put all that wonder and all of that grief. So that eight-year-old that I was, who was heartbroken and worried and wonder-filled, that person, that eight-year-old person gets to go into all the books. And it is such a gift to be able to have a place to put it and then to connect to people through that, you know? I read where you said there's two ingredients. There's truth Uh, and hope. Yeah. And I wonder as a little kid, when you would read books that didn't tell you the truth, how that made you feel? It made me feel condescended to. Yeah. And I remember that feeling so clearly. I was always, I was such a, I was really small for my age and I looked very benign. And um, so people were always like, I, I felt like I was always being condescended to in person because I was so small. And then also 
to get it on the page, just, it's like, don't you know that I understand? It's this thing always, I feel like with kids, they're living in the same world that we are. They see what we see. Do they, do you, I mean, it's so disrespectful to think that, that they're not seeing what we see. We need to honor that, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to tell them the truth because that makes them feel seen. But we're also duty-bound, I feel like, to give them hope. Mm -hmm. I love that combination. I, um, I found it fascinating that reading actually came a little bit tricky to you. And if yeah. it wasn't for your mom. I know. And it's so funny because, um, this, the most recent book is the Beatrice prophecy. Yeah. And it's, it's so much about stories and the power of being able to read and write. And when I was done with that book, I knew that I wanted to dedicate it to my mom. And I thought, why is this? It's not that I forgot any of this, but it is, it is surprising to me to think that as somebody who lives to read, that it was a struggle for me to learn to read and write and, and not to write, but to, to read. And it was this thing of like the, and I always say this with a certain amount of hesitancy because it's different for every kid. For whatever reason, phonics made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so I was desperate to learn how to read and, and, I didn't understand what they were talking about with phonics. And I came home and, and talked to my mom and I was hysterical. And my mother was, uh, you know, said for the love of Pete, you know, like calm down. Um, cause she always thought I was, you know, dramatic. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and, but she also knew how much it mattered to me. And she said something so important to me, which is, um, you're smart, which is just great. And then also this other, point, which is we'll figure a way around it. Mm -hmm. And that's a, you know, so there's an explicit message there and an implicit one. There's always a way around. So what she did was she knew my mind well enough that she knew I was good at memorizing. So she just made flashcards and I, every day after school, I would come home and, and word by word, that's how I learned to read with my mom holding up the flashcards. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Betty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Betty. Yeah. And so your mom was able to see some of your success before she passed away. She was, and she she celebrated what I uh, was able to do, but she was also very worried about me thinking too highly of myself. So she played it down. It's like, that's good. Yeah. But secretly, she must have been delighted. I think so, because she was... Uh, so much a part. I, I mean, she, she loved working with kids and she also, I think there was a huge part of her that thought, I did that. You know, I, I, I figured out a way and around for her. Mm-hmm. And also she was somebody who read to me all the time. Yes. And I know, you know, as a yes. mother, how important that is. And that shaped me so much and twice a week to the, the public library. And I mean, she was just like, and it, it was such a gift. Yeah, yeah. Those moments like cuddled up with somebody you love hearing a story. You know, well, I know because I've read my children, your books, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you feel that, I mean, it's like that there is a, a palpable connection that happens when you you're reading aloud and it happens both ways. It's for the person who's reading aloud and the person who's listening. It creates this third space, a safe space, mm-hmm. um, where you can like both kind of put down your guard and see each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really powerful thing. 
And we need more of that this summer. Oh, we do. And so I'm so glad that y'all are doing, talking about books for kids, talking about reading together. It matters so much. It really does. Okay, so your childhood was not easy. No, but but it, you know, okay. Well, what questions yes. do you well, want to ask I about go. my yeah, yeah, difficult like, childhood? Really cool. <laughs> um, well, you you were ill a lot, right? How did that play in to who you are now? Who you are as a writer? Yeah. So I got, I was just a really really super sickly kid, and um, I when I before the pandemic would go out and do school visits and talk to kids. Um, I would always tell them, you know, that story of all the sickness. And then I would talk about the fact that my father left, which also was something that was a very defining thing for me. And um, both of those things, my father leaving and also me being alone a lot and because I was home from school sick, um, shaped me. And I say this cautiously, gave me something. Mm. So, and, and kids, sometimes when you're having this discussion with them can see that, well, you wouldn't be who you are without those difficult things. And that's, that's so true. So, and it made me, it gave me something. Um, and I say that, you yeah. know, very cautiously. Yes. Um, but it, it gave me what something. Did, so what, what did it give you? Do you think? Well, to be, to be alone, um, and we didn't get a TV until I was in fourth grade, mm-hmm. um, and and we didn't get a TV until my brother and I went around knocking on the neighbor doors asking if we could watch their TV, and then my mother buckled. Right, so so to be to be, uh, and I would be home and sick, and so I learned to live in books. I learned to live in my imagination. That's one thing, and then my father leaving that. That is the heartbreak that I think that I, that's how I can connect to kids now because of that early loss and to know what it was like. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it, it, it puts a longing in place. And that longing is what I tap into when I tell the stories. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that longing is a gift because it lets me, Everybody's heartbroken in one way or another, and and we forget that. Um, Louisiana says that Mm -hmm. at some Mm -hmm. point to her grandmother, but heartbroken—that's all of us, isn't it? And so it's just like it because it's difficult to be here, and it's a glorious gift to be here, and it's also hard to be a human being, and that's what telling stories lets me tap into that. So, And I didn't realize how much of your story <laughs> is in the Raimi Nightingale trio. Like I didn't, only now did I realize that there's little pieces of you sprinkled all over. Right. And you know, and what's so funny is because the, the very first book that I wrote is Because of Winn-Dixie. Mm-hmm. And it it's um, the story of uh, Opal and her mom has disappeared. And so as soon as I went out into the world talking about that book, kids always wanted to know, wait, did you grow up without your mom? Mm-hmm. And I would always say, no, it was my dad that was missing. And I think that maybe my subconscious was dealing with it in in a mirror image way, it made it mm-hmm. easier. The parent that mm-hmm. stayed mm-hmm. is the one that I I would have disappear. By the time I got to Ramey and I had been writing long enough, I 
just kind of told the absolute truth. This is what, you know, so Ramy is older than I was when my dad left, but that same thing yes. where you think, what can I do to get them to come back? Yes. You know, and, and, um, because that's what you think as a kid, you know, and, um, how can I, change this. And so Ramey is so much about that. That's why she enters the contest, yes. right? Yes. And somebody like me who should never have been. You were in, I oh, were, you were in a pageant. You, oh, you yeah. Call it, like yeah pageant let's let's linger on that. Let's linger on that. Yeah. It, it was, it was a little Miss Orange Blossom contest. And, you know, my mom has passed away. So I can't ask her what she was thinking putting me into a contest like that. And I, I have, I remember nothing that happened except I have like a flashbulb memory of like looking down at the wood floor of the stage and thinking, boy, I should not be here. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ramey's that kind yes. of kid too. She's, you know, not, not the kind, but she's so desperate to, she doesn't understand why her dad left. Yes. And as a kid, sometimes you feel like it's your responsibility, which goes to this thing of where you feel like, you know, parents feel like they're protecting their kids. And sometimes the kids feel like they're protecting their yes. parents and the kids and, and parents forget that. And I'm not giving you a message no. that you need to. No, know. So but, I, and also I was just thinking how Raimi thought if she solved one thing. It could solve everything. Right, right, which is very much how you, yeah. you feel about things when you're, you're a kid. Little. Yeah. And, and you, and, and, and it's funny because like we were talking about, um, Tale of Despero before we started to film. And it's just like when that book came out, I got asked so many questions about why are there so many mice in children's literature? And to me, I would always say, well, gosh, the answer to me is so obvious. It's because kids feel so small, mm -hmm. so powerless, mm -hmm. and also like so much, you know, pushed to the side. And, and so, and that goes back to Ramey. It's just like you feel like you don't have agency. What can I do? do. I can do this. I'll do this contest and then it will solve everything. Mm -hmm. He'll see my picture in the yeah. paper and he'll come home. And yeah. did that, did you have moments like that as a little girl thinking like, how can I bring him back? What Absolutely. Can I, do? I did. I thought, I thought, I thought, um, uh, oddly it's tied up with that little Miss Orange Blossom contest. I thought what I need to do is grow my hair long. And I remember uh, fighting with my mother about this um, because she's like, you don't look good with your hair long. You need it short. And, and I remember very consciously thinking that if I have long blonde hair, then, then my, he'll come back. And I remember fighting with my mom about it. And I didn't want to say to her why I was doing it, right? Because that goes to that thing of like, mm -hmm. you're trying to take care of your parents and they don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so funny because I have long hair now, but as a little kid, my hair was so short and I would pretend it, I would, you know, pretend I had a long ponytail. And I sometimes see my daughter doing that. And I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, what is this? Right. Well, it, it's like there's an, it, it taps into like, um, to fairy tales too. When mm -hmm. you think about it, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you um, you always love to read, but was there a book that you remember thinking like, oh my gosh, this is everything? Like this, that was every book that I encountered. I was like, it's like a, I read without discretion. If it was a book, 
I loved it. I made my way through the school library. I made my way through the public library. And like I said, I was really lucky in that I had a mom that bought books for me. Mm-hmm. There were books that I would come back to. Um, I remember uh, Harriet the Spy. Did mm-hmm. you read that mm-hmm. when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. Which is basically a primer on how to be a writer. Yes. That, that I look you know back. Gave, Ruman Alam, who is a friend and a writer, just sent that book to me in one of the like old sort of first edition copies. It is. Which makes total sense. Yeah, it does. an incredible writer. Right. You know? And and it's, it is a powerful, it, it shows you the dangers and the pitfalls because we were talking about this, like, you know, mm-hmm. me being on, uh, that I like to listen to people's conversations and that comes maybe partly from Harriet the Spy. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like I'm always paying attention because there's so many, there's a great quote from Flannery O'Connor. The writer must never be ashamed of staring. There is nothing that does not require her attention. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned to stare with um, pretending like I'm not doing it. In the beginning, I my mouth would hang open all the time, right? Yes. But now I'm like... Because you're listening in. Yeah. And kind of taking in all these little details of people's lives. And I think that probably came from um, reading Harriet the Spy. I don't know. Mm-hmm. but So there were many books that I came back to again and again, but I just read everything, mm-hmm. you know, that I could get my hands on. When we come back, Kate DeCamillo shares why she schedules time to read each day and doesn't feel guilty about it. And what finally made her sit down and write her first book, now a bestseller, because of Winn-Dixie. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Was reading a companion for you, an escape? Did it feel like a place you could go and kind of forget the hard things, a place to find joy? What was it? Yes, 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 all and yes, all of that. And then also I can say now, and I wouldn't have said this when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it, but what I'm aware of as an adult reader is that um, I am most fully myself when I'm reading that, that is when I am most myself. And I, and I have found that not only is it like something that gives me joy, pleasure and escape, but that I, I have to have it. And it's just like, I, I have actually, you can laugh at me, but like the days are busy and I make sure I schedule that time in the afternoon because that is when I can fully enter my body and be myself is when I'm, I'm not going to laugh at you because I do the same thing. And it's just, mm-hmm. it is, it's so this is like the beautiful thing about a novel or any book that connects with you is it just, it, it, 
shows you more about yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about other people. I'm given language to describe something that's in my heart by something that went on in, in this book, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just like it, it's necessary for me. And I've stopped apologizing to myself for putting it on the schedule because I know if I can like turn everything off Mm -hmm. in the afternoon for like a couple hours, it's one of the reasons I like being on a plane. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm, me too. it's just like, then Mm -hmm. I can just read and also occasionally eavesdrop, right? Yeah, that's it's a great place to eavesdrop, (laughs) right? Um, So even though you loved to read and I think you always sort of wanted to write, it wasn't like an automatic thing. Talk no, do you, do you want that? Do you want that long, sad story? Yeah, I do. Of, uh, yeah, okay. I would like I'll, it because I think try. it gives other people hope. Frankly, I, I will try to condense it <laughs> as much as I can. So I, I'm somebody who loves to read. It's time for me to go to college. What am I going to major in? I'll major in English mm-hmm. because then I can read all the time. You know, and periodically the adults would say, "What are you going to do with an English degree?" And I was just like, you know, and and then like in my senior year of college, I had a, a professor who said to me, "You have." This is the direct quote. A certain facility with words, you should consider graduate school. And um, because I was young, I thought, he's trying to tell me, like, I'm super talented. And so, like, why should I bother going to graduate school? I'll just go and be a writer. That's what I'll do. And so, um, as I say to the kids with that incredibly idiotic plan in place, I went trotting off and um, spent like the next 10 years. I'd like, I worked at Disney. I worked here. I worked there. I told everybody, I'm a writer. Um, and people would say, oh, that's Kate. She's a writer. Um, and I read books on writing and I um, imagined what it would be like to have my name on the cover of a book. And I didn't write anything mm. until I turned 30. And I thought, wow, I could like literally spend the rest of my life talking about this thing that I say that I want to do and not doing it. So I started to write then at, at 30. And it, so it took you know, 10 years. So you were working for, you know, $4 an hour, $4 plus an hour. (laughs) Did I say that? Did I say that to Ron? I was like, you said that somewhere, maybe in the, I don't know. Yeah. $4.80 an hour. $4.80. I know the exact amount. Yeah. $4.80 at a book warehouse. Yes. In the the children's section. Bless your heart, Jenna. Yes, that is correct. In the children's section. And you thought like, why am I here? Well, I, but this is the thing that right before I got the job in the book warehouse, I had actually thought, okay, I'm going to start to write. And so I'd started by doing two pages a day and, um, and I, I was writing short stories for adults. When I got the, the job at the book warehouse, I entered into that with, uh, I think a bias that a lot of adult readers have, which is, oh, these are kids books, you know, these are for children. And so, but I was, I was somebody who went around filling the orders. I pulled the books off the shelf. And as a reader, it was only a certain amount of time before I started to read those books that I was picking off the shelf. And I read uh, a novel for kids 
called The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963, by Christopher Paul Curtis. Mm-hmm. I love Christopher Paul Curtis. Is but he, Not Buddy is on the list. But Not Buddy is like... I actually want to interview Christopher Paul Curtis for the same Oh, you thing. have to. He is, I he is divine. Him. He I He is divine. And he... I mean, those... Like, But Not Buddy is the same as Watsons Go to Birmingham yes. in that it's like it makes you laugh yes. out loud. Yes. But yet it's it's taught... It's really serious stuff, yes. right? Okay. So... Um, so Christopher Paul Curtis. So I, I read the Watsons go to Birmingham, 1963. And I just thought I didn't, I want to do something like this, something that is so warm, so funny, talks about something so big. Um, and so I actually like took a copy of that book home. I typed up, um, a chapter. It's like, how long would a chapter be? How long then would a manuscript be? Okay. Let me try. And pretty soon after that, um, I, I I woke up one morning and I heard this little girl with a southern accent say, I have a dog named Win Dixie. And so I thought, okay, there's a place to start. And so that's that that and and then even as I was writing because Win Dixie, this is before, you know, I didn't I thought it wouldn't I didn't think it would get published. I don't know. But I remember thinking, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so and it's so strange to think that if I hadn't gone to the book warehouse I might have not have found, you know, like I where you're supposed to be. be. Right. I mean, I just kind of like backed into it. I mean, I knew that I wanted to write, but I didn't. And 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 adults will say to me sometimes, oh, I've read your books, even though I'm an adult. When are you going to write a book for adults? And I'm like, you know, this is it. This is exactly what I'm supposed to do. I feel lucky that you as an adult found mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. but it's just like, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. And, and, and I'm so glad to be here. I cannot believe your first book was because of Winn-Dixie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lucky me, right? But I didn't know. I didn't. Well, not la- talented you. Like for that, you didn't, you could never have expected the success of that book. Oh, n- Oh, Jenna, no. I mean, because I was working in the book warehouse. It served the whole upper Midwest as a book distributor. I knew exactly what to expect for a middle grade novel from a first time author. If I was really, really lucky, this is what I thought, that that I would sell 5,000 copies and the rest would be remaindered somewhere where I wouldn't have to see them at work. Because in back of the children's department was where the remainders went. And so that was really like, and that was a very, I mean, so like, I was in no way prepared for what happened because it was... Will you just tell us what happened? What (laughs) happened was, (laughs) see, it makes me cry a little bit. What happened was... Teachers read it to their classes, and you know this as a teacher. Um, librarians uh, passed it to, they also read it out loud. Parents read it to their kids. Booksellers hand-sold it. Um, grown adults read it to their aging parents. I mean, I uh, slowly all of this, like I, all these stories made their way to me. And I was, I was doing an event. Um, this is before the pandemic. So I don't know, 2019. Um, and so I was somebody, I was talking about because of Winn-Dixie being the first 
book and uh, hoping to sell 5,000. And somebody in the audience said, well, how many have sold? And it's like, I don't know. And I asked um, the the publicist who was there with me um, from Candlewick. I'm like, what, what are the numbers? And I don't know what the numbers are now, but yeah. then they were 11, 11 million copies. And so I stood up in front of all these people and cried because it's like, I didn't know. I mean, that's not my job to pay attention to that. My job is to tell the stories. So 11 million plus. Yeah. And also like, I mean, the fact that you can be in all those homes, you know, to be with kids. Yeah, no, it makes me feel kind of dizzy to think about it, but it like, um, it's, it's like, Kids connect to it, and I get to connect to those kids because of it. And it is such a huge gift. It is such a huge gift. Mm. And and um, and I never in a million years would have thought that I would be sitting here talking to you. And it, and the wonder of it never goes away. The wonder of it arrives every week when the kids. Uh, letters come in in the mail, and I I can't I can't get over it. And I think never let me take this for granted. Yeah, I can tell you don't. Not one bit of it. You're one of six writers to win two Newberries, (laughs) which is like, you know, the award. No, wait, did I say one of six? Yeah, 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 I said it right. You're one of six to win two Newberries. I know that that must just feel like an extra... Oh, that's so huge. It's just like I, um, I going to the library all the time. Um, I knew there was a spin rack, um, and at the beginning of the children's section, they had all these uh, paperback yearling newberries, right? And that's where I would go. And I knew if that, if that metal was on the book, that it was a guaranteed. And to think that I got to write something that has that metal on it. And it's also that thing where, People know the Newberry. Parents know the Newberry. Yes. Teachers, librarians, it is just like people. It is, it is the most powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And it also means that, um, I'll, you know, the book will stay in print. It's, it's just huge. I remember the first, when Tale of Despero won and I was doing my first reading, uh, after that had happened and I thought, what if it's really good? It was the first time that I, <laughs> that I thought that it's just, I don't know. So yeah. My mom and I used to read the Newberry every year. Like the awards would come out and we would read it sort of as a book club together and it's such a great parents it's such a great thing to do that's such Mm -hmm. a great way to do it Mm -hmm. but it's also that speaks to the thing of like people know it yeah it's something i mean we were adults too yeah (laughs) (laughs) we were adults i'm sure we read she read them to me when we were little too but she'd be like oh i have the newest newberry want to read it because we love children's book literature that much When we come back, a lesson in resilience. Kate shares why she kept writing even after receiving over, wait for it, 400 rejection letters before ever seeing her words in print. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm. That's music to my ears. I can only talk. 
investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at Fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Um, okay, you had a lot of rejections, though. Like, a lot. I mean, not. To, I'm not trying to say that. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm 400 so, rejections? I'm so happy to talk about that because I think it's so important to talk about that because I think that, and I find this with adults and with kids, too, people think, um, this is me up on my soapbox now for a minute. People think, oh, okay, this is something I'm supposed to do. It, no matter what it is, write, mm-hmm. sing, mm-hmm. um, draw, whatever it is. Um, therefore, it should be easy for me. And, um, and so you sit down in front of the blank page and it's really hard. Um, and a lot of people just get up and don't come back to it, right? But it's just, you have to, you have to be patient with yourself and you also have to be patient with the world. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, um, when I would do the PowerPoint and in schools with kids, I would ask, I would say, okay, who knows what a rejection letter is? And, um, the first thing I would say is, okay, so you've written some stories and now you're going to send them out. What do you get back? And the kids would say money. And it's like, yeah, no, no, that's not it. First, first you get a rejection letter and, um, and, how many rejection letters should I get? And sometimes, sometimes a kid would go as high as 50 or 100. Sometimes, usually they say five, six. And then I would put that number up there, 473. And that's like, yeah. And and that was almost, I always want to make this clear, that was not for Winn-Dixie. That was for the short stories that I was writing um, and going out to literary magazines. I mean, in that 10-year period where you tried to write, and, and didn't, but, and then the six years after I started to write and before anything got published, I was writing. I was up every morning and I was doing it and I was sending them out. And I had like a, a dartboard that I would put the reject. This is all in the days of paper. The, the rejections would come and, um, you know, you'd put them on the, and why would you keep them so you could see them? Did they motivate you? They did. And sometimes, you know, kids will say, well, why did you keep on going? And and part of it is that I felt like I had waited long enough that I knew that the only thing that I could control was me and whether or not I did the work. I couldn't, you know, because I spent that 10 years dreaming and not doing, mm-hmm. by the time I sat down to start doing it, I thought, this is only, this is, this is up to me. It's up to me whether I give up or not. It's up to me whether or not I do the work. No one cares. It's just whether or not I'm going to do it. And so I just wasn't going to give up because I'd waited so long to actually start to do the work, mm-hmm. you know? So if 473 rejection letters, what was your first, like, accepted? I'm like, what is, what's the opposite of a rejection letter? What was your first <laughs> letter with good news? What was your first letter where you were like, wow, there is a shot here? I sold some short stories to the literary magazines and then, but then everything kind of like, 
um, happened at once. Those stories came out. I also got, um, I live in Minnesota. There was a grant um, that I got, and that was from people who didn't know me, didn't, you know, wasn't, and so that, and then right after that, uh, when Dixie had been lost at the publisher and it was found and they called and said, um, we'd like to publish this book. So it was like, bam, it was like, you know, six years of just rejection, rejection, rejection. And then everything happened all at once. So it, it's like that, though, all those no's must have made the yes sweet. It was sweet. It was overwhelming, but it was also like, an, and when I talk to kids in a group, I always want to make this point too. There was so much, it's just like, um, there was rejection, but there was also this happiness at finally doing this thing, answering for myself was kind of how I felt. So this is even before the yeses arrived. It was this, this thing that I thought that I wanted to do and I thought that I could do, I was getting up every morning and doing yes. it. And that was, so I, that, that period before, yes, there were a lot of rejection letters in there, but there was also this happiness mm -hmm. of me doing the thing that I felt like I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about your process. I know it involves eavesdropping. And <laughs> A notebook and also a long walk with your dog. Yes, right. Walks are like absolutely essential. If you can take a dog, that's all the better. But like, so, and, and I did, I have a notebook that I carry with me all the time everywhere. And I use that notebook as like a, a like a reminder to like, I feel like my job is to keep everything open. So that's my eyes and my ears for the eavesdropping, but also like my my mind and, and my heart, everything, because I don't know where the story ideas are going to come from. Um, and I don't, and I feel like how people talk to each other, how they interact with each other, um, it it's all part of being a novelist. And, and, and just to capture speech, because I love as a reader, I love dialogue mm -hmm. when I'm reading. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's mm -hmm. a, it, it, mm -hmm. it, it, there's something really powerful about dialogue, right? You relax a little bit with dialogue and to get dialogue right, you have to listen to people all the time, right? When they're talking. And, and I love writing dialogue. So it's just like, I feel like everything always, what people will say to each other. There's still the sentence that I like. This is from a long time on, on a plane where um, uh, somebody was getting their luggage off and, and she said to the person next to her, I, I can't wait to see Dwayne. And that <laughs> sentence has gone in every I transfer stuff from notebook to notebook I have not figured out how to use oh, that sentence used, I can't no, wait to see Dwayne I can't wait to see Dwayne I loved it you I don't mean, I can't wait to see, see Dwayne, Dwayne. <laughs> right it just seemed so it was seemed so poetic people say the most incredible things and and sometimes just what one person says to another is a way into a story and how about why the walks why why the walks because like, well, are you thinking in your mind the I'm entire thinking time? I'm thinking, and and also it's just um like so. I work in the morning, and then I walk afterwards, and it's kind of like how when you uh, I'm not consciously thinking about the story, but um, when you're physically doing something else, then it's like, oh wait a minute, this needs to go there, and this, and so you know, it, unless it's the middle of the winter, I have the notebook with me on the walk too. When it's 
you know, 10 below, I'm not going to take out the pen. I'm just hoping I can remember it until I get home, you know, but, uh, but I carry the notebook with me in temperate weather so I can write down the, it's like when your mind puts the story together sometimes because you're looking in a different direction. You know, one of the, the other sort of element of a lot of your a lot of your books, although your scope is so huge, which is You're what nice, Kate, Jenna. it's yeah, very true. Your scope and, and your characters are so varied that it's hard to even say this, but the South plays a big part and, and a lot of your books. Yeah. And is that because of your childhood in Florida? Absolutely. I mean, part of it is just like, that's, you know, when I tap into my kid's self, that's where I was. I grew, I grew up in Florida, but there's also, this is a Southern thing and it affected me mightily. There's just that way that storytelling mm. is a part of that culture. And so, and I grew up on a dead end street. There were three, uh, uh, widow ladies that lived on the, uh, opposite side of the street. Um, all three of those elderly ladies welcomed all of us neighborhood kids in. Mm. Um, and we talked with them and there were stories. And I think that really influenced me too. That mm-hmm. just that, you know, that storytelling mm-hmm. kind of culture. Yeah, I love that. And in fact, some of them, it sounds like maybe at least their inspiration are in some of the Ramey Nightingale books too. Mrs. Borkowski. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was right, thinking. Right. Yes, 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 absolutely. And when I think, because like I'm, I, I always visualize where I am when I'm writing. I mean, when I was writing that part, of Ramey, I was on the street that I grew up in sitting in because Mrs. Borkowski sits out there in, mm-hmm. in her lawn chair. And it's like, that was, I was thinking of that street where I grew up when I did that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You have, is it 40 million? I want to make sure I get this right. It, 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 40 million books in print. Is that Jennifer, right? Jennifer, what is it? 43 million. 43? I actually said to her, I, it's like, I, I doubt myself every time because that number is just... Because it feels enormous. That's crazy. So yeah. 43 million books in print. Mm-hmm. You've won two Newberries. You have an opera based on one of your books. You have movies based on your books. You have all of these things. Like, But what gives you the most satisfaction? Those letters from kids. To, to like, to like, I, 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 not, you know, just a couple days ago at home, I was walking past a school and, um, and one of the little kids, they were running around school, recognized me. And then I, um, and then she told her friend and then they stopped and told, and, and I got to like connect with those kids. Can you, can you believe what a gift that is? Because they're, because they're readers, you know, um, yeah, that's that's the most exciting thing to to connect with the readers, mm-hmm. what, whatever age they are. So, do you see yourself in these readers and these kids? That that eight year old me. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a question that kind of stops me because I, I, no one's ever asked me that really before. And when I think about that, I think about. What a shy kid I was, what a worried kid I was, and how often I felt invisible. Uh, um, and, and one of the things that I love so much about connecting with kids is like, even when you're doing a signing line and they're moving through really quickly, I can let each one know that I absolutely see them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that then 
connects to that eight-year-old me who wanted so desperately to be seen. And that's what books can do, even if I'm not there. And I say this to kids. It's like, we have this connection. If you never meet me, if we never talk, if you never write me a letter, you can still find me in a book and I can find you in a book. And that's the, the miraculous thing about storytelling, you know, is like, you can feel seen because your experience is recognized and I can feel seen in return because you're responding and we might never meet each other, but we find each other in the story. That's why I feel like I know you. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen you in all those books. Yeah. And, and, and that, is that not like a, a miracle that that can happen? And it's so great that you can go, you, Jenna can go out there and tell other people about that and, and encourage people to pick up a book mm. so they feel less alone and, and so they feel seen. Mm. So it's good work on you. Mm. Yeah. So, so you, part of your process obviously is observing or eavesdropping. This is your little notebook. This is my notebook. Where you t- write down little tiny things of daily life. Right. And also where I talk to myself. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd be really, I would mo- be mortified if anybody ever read this. Um, but I also always keep a list of things at the back that I think might turn into stories. Like, I can't wait to see Dwayne. Like I said, right, I, that's, <laughs> is that like, still there? That's, that's the still there. The yeah. It's just like, and I haven't figured out how to use it, but I also believe that I will. And um, to the eavesdropping thing, this mm-hmm. is just like on the on the plane here. Are you ready? Yes. I dreamed about it for so long. And then he said, you can't even apologize. This is, <laughs> this is somebody you listen to? You can't yeah, even right. apologize? And then it was my grandmother's house. We went there when we were kids. This is two people talking about like the, a place in a, a cabin. Yes. And it's just like, it's not, be, I mean, people will let down their guard on airplanes yes. talking to yes. strangers, you know. And wait, there's one more. It has been so wonderful to talk to you. I feel like I know you. That was when the plane landed. That was actually two people up. It was a younger woman uh, speaking to an old woman, and she asked if she can get her luggage. And then she like leaned over and said, it has been so wonderful. I, I feel like I, I know you. You... Um what like you have many more projects in the works i do a lot of books to be published yeah thanks to this little notebook <laughs> yeah. is that right yeah yeah and i actually kind of keep track of that in here and it's like it's like when you said the 43 million it seems unbelievable yeah. and when i look at like what i've got i've got like a lot of a lot of stories in progress i've got like nine different things so yeah nine different things that yeah. will be published over the next yeah yeah I mean, lucky me, right? Brilliant you. No, no, brilliant. lucky me because it's just, this is, and this is something that I, uh, is so amazing to me. And I want to say it that like to find what you want to do in the world yeah. is one thing to, to get to do it is another thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been lucky enough to get to do it, but then to make your living from it, that's like, that's the trifecta of joy. So you've reached it. Yeah. Yeah, all the joy. Yeah, all the joy. And yeah. I love that that comes from like the rules of truth and hope. Oh. I feel like you need like somebody to needle point you a pillow that's like truth plus hope equals joy. Maybe you could I do don't that. know how to needle point, but if I could, I would. <laughs> I've actually asked my grandmother how to 
a pillow that was needle pointed that said reading is sexy. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know what happened to it, but I'm so sad I didn't get it. But it it, is so fabulous. Don't you love it? But what do you want? It's truth. Truth plus hope. Because is that true that those are your two sort of overriding equals joy? Because that's you. you. And and we will never have that. I can't needle point. You can't needle point. But it's needle pointed on my heart and it's clearly needle pointed on yours. Oh, yeah. I love that. So I hope that this is not our last time hanging out because I feel the way Ampatchet does about you. Jenna, you're, Thank you're, you're so an absolute much. delight. Thank, Thank you. you. It was so incredible to speak with Kate. That's all for today. I hope you were able to take some valuable gems from our chat. We'll see you next week with another author interview right here on Read with Jenna. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please give Read With Jenna a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Make sure to tell your friends about us, and new episodes drop every Thursday. The fun doesn't stop here. Want to join our Read With Jenna community of book lovers? Head to today.com slash readwithjenna to find our monthly book list and to sign up for our newsletter. You can also find us on Instagram at readwithjenna. This episode of Read with Jenna is produced by Mion Edwards, Robin Sindler, and Kate Saunders. Our associate audio engineer is Juliana Masterilli. Our audio engineer is Katherine Anderson. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Missy Dunlap Parsons is our executive producer. And Libby Least is the executive vice president of Today and Lifestyle. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.